The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. With Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Breaking news with Eileen Bell and sports with Morley Scott. This is the Afternoon News on 630 Chad, Edmonton's breaking news and conversation station. Hey, you know what today is, uh, Jaylen Nye? It is. We made it halfway through the week. Here we are. We're already looking at the other side. A couple of more days. uh, Did the Oilers play last night? They did not. They'll play tomorrow Tomorrow night against the New York uh, Islanders. Oh, the Islanders tomorrow night. City Ford Faceoff Show, 5.30. With uh, Taylor Hall and Patrick Maroon. Oh. Mm. Taylor Hall's having a good year, isn't he? Yes, he is. The team's having a good year. They're on their way to the playoffs. Uh, You know what? Uh, We'll talk more sports, uh, lots of other stories um, in the afternoon news this afternoon. But we want to start with uh, a story that you've been hearing about on the 6.30 Ched, or from the 6.30 Ched newsroom today. Um, Sex assault centers across the province struggling to keep up with demand as more victims come forward with their stories of abuse. The province, though, today announced $8.1 million to help bolster the front lines and help more people. And Deb uh, Tomlinson is with the Association of Alberta Sexual Assault Services. She says some are having to wait six to eight months to get counselling. We are in the middle of a movement where every day more and more survivors are coming forward. Remember, This is preceded by decades and decades of secrecy and silence. So uh, we are experiencing a flood. Well, it's hoped that wait times can be reduced down to a period of just two weeks. Our first guest today is someone who has gone through the system and is willing to share her story with us. 23-year-old Hilary Jahelka. Welcome to the show, Hilary. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Did I say your last name right? You did. Yeah. Okay, all right. Hillary, I'm, I'm not sure where to start uh, with you on this one. Um, it's a sensitive topic, but mm-hmm. you've been um, you, you've offered to share your story and be brave enough to do so. What do you want to tell us about what happened to you? Yeah, well, my first year of university, um, I was out with friends, you know, Having a good time. A few of us went back to my place, um, and that's where I was sexually assaulted by someone who I thought was a friend. Um, you know, we had been drinking, and I said no multiple times, and um, I passed out and woke up with him on top of me. And it took some time for you to uh, come forward and tell anybody that it happened, didn't it? Yeah, I didn't tell anyone for a while just because of that self-blame. Um, I really thought it was my own fault. And actually, when I did first come forward um, to some friends, I wasn't believed. Oh. Yeah. Hillary. so give us an idea. Um, unless you've gone through what, what you have gone through, uh, folks don't know the process and, and the things that go through your mind when, mm-hmm. from the time that it you know happens to the time whether you decide to do something about it or say something or get treatment or not. Um, tell us about that, that time in between. You talked about self-doubt. You talked about friends blaming you. Um, how, how difficult was, was that time? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard for anyone. It's very confusing. Um, You know, we live in a world where women are taught that it's their fault. And, 
that is so prevalent when you're going through it. Um, you think of that, all those things, well, I shouldn't have drank so much. Maybe I shouldn't have worn that. I shouldn't have invited him back home. Um, and then when you, you know, if you do disclose and someone comes and doesn't believe you um, or says that, you know, um, this is your fault or it's not sexual assault, that just really puts a wrench in that healing journey and those kind of self-doubts that you had for a long time um, just get worse and worse because you feel as if um, no one will believe you. So what changed, Hillary? Um, I finally worked up the courage. Um, I kind of realized I needed to talk to someone because I was having um, PTSD and struggling with that with my relationships and my friendships. And so talked to um, a couple, my cousin actually, who is um, works in the counseling field and she encouraged me to disclose to my parents, um, which I eventually did. And then I was able to start seeking counseling. And uh, from what I understand, your parents believed you immediately and gave you support right away. They did, yeah. My parents were amazing um, and have been very amazing throughout my whole healing journey. You can understand, uh, I think, as a parent myself uh, who has daughters, and obviously you had a relationship with your parents where you felt at some point comfortable in in, in telling them what had happened. Mm. I think as a parent, you kind of think, why did you wait so long? I, I think it's hard for us to try and understand because we haven't lived your experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my parents definitely struggle with that um, because they wanted to be there to support me. And of course, you know, having their daughter hurting like that really hurt them to to see. I definitely think they, you know, um, wanted me to come forward earlier. Um, but I also think you know, through our conversation, they also understood that um, I was working through it as well. Um, so they, they got that side of it as well. Where did you find uh, counseling service, Hillary? Um, so actually the first time I, I saw counseling was uh, we went through insurance through my dad's work and um, I was paired up with a counselor. I, you know, told them what happened to me. So needed someone who worked with trauma and um, things like that. And um, I went to her and it was an awful experience. Mm. She essentially said um, that, well, maybe he didn't really understand what consent was and we kind of made up some excuses. Um, so I think I went to maybe three sessions and then stopped just because of that re-traumatization. So what was the support in hindsight now, looking back, what was the support you needed? Um, I needed someone who would just have said, you know, I believe you, it's not your fault, let's work through this. Someone who had that trauma-informed care, um, who understood what it, what what um, victims go through when they're dealing with that. Uh, you know, a lot of the time it's, it is that self-blame that you have to work through. Um, and I don't think the woman I went to um, understood that. Well, that sort of goes to the heart of what this funding is about, right? Because the idea behind this funding is specialized support, those individuals mm-hmm. who have been trained and understand what you have gone through and know how to get you the immediate support and help you need. Oh, exactly. And it's so important, you know, these 
sexual assault centers across the province do such amazing work and do have this increased amount of funding to help them have those specialized services um, and that training is so incredible and for them to be able to increase their capacity um, because you know like Deb said those wait times are just so incredible um, so just have someone be able to get in sooner rather than later is so important. Are you seeing someone now that you've connected with um, when it comes to counseling? Yes I am and she's amazing and I finally decided yeah I needed to go back and I'm talking to someone and she is um, you know one of those people who is trauma-informed works with um, people who have experienced different forms of trauma and it has changed my life incredibly. So where are you uh, Hillary on your healing journey right now where would you say you are? Uh, Definitely still working through it I don't think it's ever a finished process um but, you know, I've gotten to the point where I can speak about it publicly and I recognize that as a privilege um, that a lot of people don't have. And I'm just trying to utilize my experiences um, to support others um, and to support other survivors in coming forward and starting their healing journey. Can I ask, and you're so well-spoken, and I pre- we, we both appreciate very much you taking the time to talk to us today and to educate mm-hmm. our listeners and ourselves. Do you find that part of the process for you or for others who are the victims of sexual assault is that when they come forward, the judgment is whether or not you're telling the truth about the sexual assault as opposed to the focus being on what you need to heal? Oh, 100%. And that's why I believe you is so important because it's just that first step in the healing journey and anyone can say, I believe you. And just saying those three simple words can start someone's healing journey. And we're not the judge and the jury. Um, so it's important to be able to see that and to differentiate that and to know that you can support someone no matter what. Did the individual who was involved in your particular uh, incident, what happened to them? Um, I never went forward and reported anything um, with where I'm at now in my life, I have considered going back to them and just saying, look, what happened wasn't okay. Um, I need you to know what happened wasn't okay and I need you to know why. Because I think that, you know, I'm at the, I'm at the point in my healing journey where if they came back and said, you're right, what I did wasn't okay and I'm gonna learn and I'm gonna work to do better. That is just so important because we know that education is, the, and that primary prevention is so important um, in stopping sexual assault from happening. Hillary, you talk about education, and I'm, I'm looking at, um, you know, some of the texts that are coming into our text line um, in, in support of you. And then, of course, there's there's ones questioning, you know, no, you shouldn't have invited him back. No, you shouldn't have been drinking. Um, you know, you knew the guy almost turning around and blaming it on you again. What do you say to those people who still almost classify assaults based on, oh, it wasn't a stranger in a back alley. It was someone who you'd been out with and you'd been drinking. What do you say to those those folks? Uh, I say that that is the majority of sexual assaults that happen. It is not that stranger in an alley that we see in the media or we think is, we have that you know stereotype. Majority of sexual assaults happen by someone the person knows. And sexual assaults are not about sex. They're about power and control. And it is always that person's choice to commit that act and to go against that person's consent and what that person is wanting 
So never is it ever the victim's fault. And I would really encourage them to seek um, education and to learn more about sexual violence and what it looks like and what it means. Yeah, well said. And to add to that, you know, because it's a monstrous task, honestly, to move the public's opinion and awareness when it comes to something like this. It's a mm-hmm. it's a real uphill battle. And I know even those of us who feel like we've become more enlightened still have a lot to learn. And, you know, I, I, I just want to add to your message that oftentimes we talk about a sexual assault and dads like me say well you know we've got to do more to teach our daughters <laughs> you know but the truth is we've got to do more to teach everybody and and we got to start with our sons as well and teach them that things like what happened to you are just not okay oh totally and you know we see that every day no matter how much you um, teach a woman self-defense um, tell her not to walk alone at night tell her to have her drink that's not going to stop someone from committing an act of sexual violence because that is their choice to commit that. Um, and uh, we need to go back to education and teaching about consent and healthy relationships and teaching about healthy masculinity um, and what's okay and what's not okay. Hillary, curious to know what you think of the uh, the Me Too movement and, you know, the, the I believe you, I see you, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to call it a movement as well that um, certainly has been on the forefront in, in, a, in a lot of areas over the past few months. Uh, yeah, I think they're incredible. I think it's so important to have these conversations and for it to be brought to the forefront. Um, you know, it's one of those things that it's been happening for years and finally it's starting to get some traction. I've been a part of the I Believe You since since it started in Alberta um, and I've loved seeing it grow and seeing it change and seeing more people come forward and that's what these movements are about and if it gets people talking and it gets more survivors coming forward to seek help, then I think you know, that is what these movements are for. I'm starting to see, though, more uh, backlash towards it and a lot of people saying, you know, every day there's a different um, accusation against somebody and, you know, some people saying, oh, well, why didn't you come forward 15 years ago when it happened or 10 years Mm -hmm. or 5 years or 2 years ago when it happened? And and I, I... The thing that I would say to that is that everyone handles trauma differently. Right? Is that, that what, what do you say to those folks? Oh, 100%. Everyone does deal with trauma differently. And um, we know that when someone faces trauma, their reaction and what they want and what they need is different from case to case. So, you know, saying something like, oh, why didn't you come forward earlier, um, really goes against everything we know about um, people who have faced trauma because a lot of the time it can take years them to heal and for them to be in an okay place to speak about it and maybe that time never comes Mm -hmm. and that's okay too that doesn't mean it didn't happen that doesn't mean it wasn't an incredibly horrible experience for them and we need to respect that at any point in time whether it be the day after you know a year later 10 years later it's still valid what happened to them still isn't okay and we still need to believe them and um, get them the supports that they need and want. Hillary, is there anything else that you think the uh, government should be doing uh, beyond what they announced that they're doing today or that anybody else should be doing? Or is there any question we should have asked you that we didn't? 
I mean, I think that this is an incredible step um, to addressing sexual violence um, and to, you know, addressing the issues of um, wait time and things like that. I, I'm excited to see what comes out of this, what transpires, what we see, you know, as a university student um, and someone who is very active in the university community, you know, engaging that population, I think, is so important because we know that, um, you know, we know one in four women will be sexually assaulted at their time at post-secondary. So engaging that group of people who experience large amounts of sexual violence is so important. So I'm excited to see um, moving forward uh, what we see happening on university campuses. Hillary Jahelka joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I, I, you've got to a point where you can, and uh, and we appreciate that. And and continue on with the uh, the the good work that you're doing with trying to educate folks. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Uh, before we go to break, uh, you'll see among our texting line some other texts. I, I, I'm working on very little energy here. Uh, the New York Islanders, um, Patrick Maroon and Taylor Hall, don't play for the New York Islanders. They play for the New Jersey Devils. People are upset. <laughs> there's, there's bigger problems in the world, but they're being very kind about it. It's Eberly that plays for the New York mm. Islanders, that's uh, who we'll see return to Evan. Well, I hope uh, whoever was uh, texting about that was also listening to that very important conversation I hope so as, as well. well. 2.25 on the 6.30 Chad afternoon news. Again, the Oilers in action tomorrow night. Yeah, reset that. Hey, yeah. against the New York Islanders. We traded Eberly mm. to the New York Islanders. We traded uh, Taylor Hall mm-hmm. and Patrick Maroon to New Jersey. And, and you know, one texter had said, and he's quite right, he's, he corrected me, which is fine. Please correct me. I don't want to, you know, I want to know when I'm wrong. And, but he said, I've sort of lost interest in the season. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I think that's what happened to me too. Mm-hmm. I was just reading an article about those two uh, before the show, so they were on my mind. I see. Yeah. I see. Okay. There you go. Hey, um, real quickly, uh, take us down to news. I had uh, quite an interesting uh, morning uh, I wanted to share with you because, of course, this is uh, Fraud Prevention Month. It is. Um, So I was just about to go out the door this morning when I got a phone call from Jamaica, and uh, you won't believe this, but I won. From Jamaica? From Jamaica, yeah. And I I won the uh, Clearinghouse Sweepstakes, the uh, (laughs) Publishers Clearinghouse Sweepstakes, $4 million on a car. Yeah, and all I had to do was uh, head down to the post office and send $664 uh, to this guy, and then he would release the prize to me. So I said, sure. Like, that's great news. And he goes, okay, so I'll stay on the line. He goes, how far is the post office? I said, about 10 minutes. So I'll stay on the line with you. We'll go to the post office. I'm great. So I got in the car, drove to Tim Hortons, got my coffee, and as I was ordering my coffee, he was like, are you talking to me? And I said, no, I'm just ordering coffee. <laughs> and he goes, why are you ordering coffee? Like, I've got yeah. $4 million in a car. And I went, oh, I, you know, I just can't get my day going without coffee. So then he's like, okay, so you're on your way to the post office now. I said, absolutely. So I drove home. And then as I walked to the door, he was like, okay, you're out of the car now. I wanted you to stay in the car until I gave you the information where to send the money. And I said, well, I'm, no, I'm home now. And he's like, what, what are you doing home? And I said, well, I had to bring a, my wife's coffee home. He's like, okay, well, go to the post office now. I'm like, absolutely. So then he didn't talk for a little while, and I started running water, and he was like, what What are you doing? I go, I'm having a shower. Like, I'm not going to the post office without a shower. <laughs> he starts losing it now. Like, just, you're going to lose your prize. you got to get in the car. you got to, you know, whatever. 
Um, Carol and I then started playing roles. I said, mm. oh, my daughter just got here. She wants to talk to you. So Carol talked a little bit, and he talked. We kept him on the phone <laughs> for the better part of an hour. <laughs> And I just walked him around the house, and we started playing sound effects for him. Like he would say, okay, so are you on your way now? And I'm absolutely. So we would play on our, my laptop sound effects of traffic. And I'd say <laughs> traffic's really heavy. Like it's going to take a little while. And then we started upping the sound effects to NASCAR. And, you know, so these high-performance engines are roaring by. And finally we told him after 48, 50 minutes, okay, I'm at the post office with my daughter in the parking lot. And this was, by the way, after he said, get a pen and paper. And I said, oh, we didn't bring one. We'll have to go buy one. So that was another trip into the Shoppers Drug Mart. And finally he's like, okay, he gave me the name uh, uh, to send it to. And he spelled it for us and we wrote it down. And then he said, can you spell that back to me? And I said, absolutely. And I went, F. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the way to Y-O-U. And there was a pause and he lost it. He just screaming at me, the profanities, and you just wasted an hour of my day. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, yeah, I know yeah. I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he told me I was, he was rich beyond my wildest imagination, oh. and I live a poor Canadian life, and blah, 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 at which point he wouldn't stop. I looked up the Benny Hill theme music. Yep. Uh, you know that and I just started playing that really loudly into the phone. He screamed over it for another two minutes and then hung up. With, well played. Thank you very much. That's an hour he'll never get back. And an hour that you will remember forever and enjoy reliving. So much fun. The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad.